And good morning. Now you can hear me. It's a great day. I hope that uh, everybody had good Thanksgiving. Raise your hand if you had a good Thanksgiving. Are you thankful? Like I'm super, super thankful for y'all. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful more than anything that I'm saved. That I made Jesus my leader, my forgiver 21 years ago. Be 22 years in January. Anyway, I, uh, you know, I want to know the truth. And I want to know the truth because, because it's true. Not because somebody told me it's true. Not because somebody said you should believe this or that. But I want to know the truth because it's true. And I knew in my mind, you know, I said, you can't be coerced by the truth because it's either things are either true or they're not true. And, it, and, and, and at the end of the day, either Jesus walked out of a grave alive or he didn't walk out of the grave alive. And, and so I wanted to know what's true. I told my wife this in January of 2000. I said, I want to know what's true. Like, I, I want to search for, for what's true. And, and I've said this before. I grew up Jewish and I was in the synagogue five days a week for the first 15 years of my life. And not as often after that, but often. And I, but I never read the Bible. And, and I said, I, I told Susan, I said, I want to know what's true. And I said, I think I'm going to read the Bible. Um, and so I did. And then to save you that whole long story, 13 months later, I believed every word of Scripture was inerrant, infallible, and was absolute, absolute, beyond a shadow of a doubt, truth. And so today, y'all, we're, you know, we're, we're, in an, another uh, message in this little series we're calling Collide, and we're, we're interrupting this walk through the book of Acts, which we started several, I don't know, probably three or four months ago, but we're, inter we're interrupting that for three or four weeks, and, and, and we're, we're walking through this collision that we see, and we're interrupting it because we were in Acts chapter 8, and, and this is right on the heels of Stephen being stoned to death. And at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, what we see is the early church, which was twenty to 30,000 believers in those first few months, we see them scatter off into the, into the world. They scatter from Jerusalem and they go out into the world. What happens when they go out into the world? They, you, you see the family of faith colliding with the culture. You see Christianity begin to collide with culture. And that's, what, that's kind of this little series. That's why we stepped out to do this. And, in, and what we saw in the first week of, of Collide, we laid the foundation for standing firm in our faith. We talked about being able to stand firm in the, in the Word of God. And then, and then the next week, we, we talked about the, the first thing that God desires out of our lives. Once we begin to, to learn how to stand firm in our faith, Amidst, ultimately against the, uh, right in the middle of, of this collision of, of the, the, the world bombarding us, which the world does, bombards us with, with this, this different worldview, this different view of everything. Ultimately, the world is bombarding us with the, the and spewing the lies of, of the flesh and the devil. So amidst all of that, We've got to be, we talked about this uh, week before last, we've got to be renewed and we've got to be transformed. We talked about um, Romans chapter 12 verse 2, that we need to be transformed and that we can be transformed by the renewal of our what? Of our mind. 
The bat, where's the battle take place? The battle takes place in our mind. And Scripture tells us that we can be, that the Lord can, can transform us if our minds will be renewed. And the reality is that the ancient Hebrews, their, their view of the heart and mind are, is that, that, that they were inextricably linked. In fact, they would call the heart the seat of thought. So your mind and your heart kind of were tied together. And so today I want us to take this kind of one step further because after God begins to transform us by the renewal of our mind, we've got to pursue the source of truth so that at the end of the day we can live it out. At the end of the day that our, that our walk and our talk can begin to jive, that our, that our walk and our talk kind of look and sound and feel the same. It's the word. Like the word, the, the, the truths of God, they're so powerful and so effective in transforming the way that we walk and talk. There's a guy, his name is William Miller. He was a missionary to the Muslim world. That's a tough nut to crack, by the way. But he's a, he's a, he's a missionary to the Muslim world. In fact, he lived half his life in Iran. He tells his story in a book, and I cannot remember the name of the book, but I want to read you this little story. He said, one day a shoemaker in Meshed, which is a very religious city in northeastern Iran, brought home for his lunch some cheese which the grocery store guy had wrapped in a page of the New Testament. He was using this, this grocery store, this deli guy was using the New Testament, tearing pages out, and he was wrapping meat or he's wrapping cheese and so after this this guy after eating his lunch he picked up a piece of paper and he read the story of the man who had hired laborers for his vineyard and at the end of the day he paid all the laborers the same wage whether they had worked 12 hours or whether they worked one and that's the we know that as the parable of the workers we actually talked about that a couple of weeks ago well the shoemaker liked the story the next day he went into that same grocery store and he and he bought some cheese and he asked that it be wrapped in another page of that book. He called it that book. And finally on the third day, he bought what remained of that book, which was the New Testament, and he showed it to his brother. When he unwrapped his cheese or whatever, he showed it to his brother. Two of them went to see a missionary who gave them a complete copy of that book. And he also gave them regular instruction in that book. And both men later on were baptized and were among the very first believers in that city called Meshed in northeastern Iran. Y'all, even when the words of Scripture are torn page by page by page and used as trash, ultimately as trash, the Word has the power to redeem. The Word has the power to reconcile. Because it leads us to the Redeemer. This book... You know, don't put more on it than is there. This book's intent is to lead you to the source. The book's intent is to lead you to the Redeemer, to the Reconciler, to, to the Savior. And that's what it did for this guy in northeastern Iran. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Paul writes, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, in that verse, Paul specifically is talking about sin. But I wonder how many of us take that same principle 
and, and it can be applied to the time that we spend in his word or maybe the time that we don't spend in his word because we know what we should do, but then we don't do it. And I'm believing that today can be the day that God is going to give you a new thirst, a new hunger, a new yearning for his word, a new thirst for the truth. I think back 22 years ago, almost 22 years ago, all I wanted to know was what's true. But I wanted my eyes and my heart and my mind to be open enough to accept whatever the truth that I find. Whatever, whatever it is, I want to believe it because it's true. Look at Proverbs chapter 23, verse 23 of chapter 23. And the writer of Proverbs tells us something about the truth that is incredibly important. He emphasizes how important truth is in this one verse. He says, buy truth. Buy truth. He says, don't sell it. Don't, don't give it away. Don't pawn it. Don't peddle it out on the street. Buy wisdom, buy instruction, and buy understanding. Now, we already said that, that, that truth comes from the Lord, truth comes from God. But once we, once we have it, how is it that we keep it? And I think the writer of Proverbs gives us this first step. He makes it clear. He says, don't sell it. Don't sell it. Don't give it away. Don't peddle it. And I don't think he's talking about me and you going out, standing on the, on the side of the road and peddling Bibles. That's not what he's talking about. I think he's talking about... Um, an, an internal struggle that goes on, an internal um, um, war that happens inside. Because it's one thing for me and you to receive the word of truth, but it's another thing entirely to actually to keep it, to cling to it, to, to hold on to it, and then to elevate it and to make the word of God a priority in our lives. Y'all had a friend, good friend, who also was on a search for truth. Really, the, really very, he didn't grow up Jewish, but very much the same thing that I did 20 years ago. He did this about 10 years ago. And he told me, I want to know what's true. And I'm trying to witness to him a little bit, but he didn't want to hear any of that. He wanted to search for truth. At least he said that he wanted to search for truth. He said that he was on an objective search for truth. At the end of the day, he really wasn't, but he said he was. And he questioned, and listen, I can stomp on this and question it and, and squeeze it, and if, but if I'm honest, it is all true. My claims that it's not true don't make it untrue. Does that make sense? It'll withstand the test of time. It has two, three, four, five thousand years. It has withstood all the scrutiny that any book could ever even think about withstanding. Well, my friend is on this same, he says he's on this same search for truth, and he, he begins to question the text of the Bible, which, y'all, that's where the attack is today. It's on the, can you trust that the words that you're reading are the words that were written? And my friend said he concluded that you can't. If you pick up the book and you turn into Isaiah, can you trust that when you read Isaiah's prophecy, that you're reading what Isaiah wrote, assuming you could read Hebrew. Are you reading what he wrote 2,900-ish years ago? Well, my buddy concluded that you can't. You can't trust it. 
which flies in the face of all the evidence in the world. Because I said, when you read Socrates or Plato, do you, did I say Plato? Plato. Do you trust that you're reading what Plato wrote? Do you trust that when you pick up, in, when you're in school and you got to read Homer's Iliad, how many of y'all had to read Homer's Iliad? Did you trust that what you read was what Homer wrote? Of course you did. But applying any standard to the text of the Bible, the evidence is overwhelming, infinitely greater than it is for Homer or Plato or Socrates or any ancient writer. Well, the Discovery Channel doesn't so much say that. And so he's kind of, my friend, kind of buying into that stuff. Then he began to question, do we have the right books of the Bible? And he concluded that we don't because his conclusion was that the, the Roman Catholic Church chose the books that are in the Bible so that they could uh, assert control over the people. Well, that flies in the face of the evidence. Script, scripture says, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Well, the book is put together. We call that canonized. The book is canonized. The books that are in the Bible are in the Bible because his sheep hear his voice. All over Asia, all over the Middle East, in North Africa, all of the believers almost uniformly recognized and, and, and attributed to certain books inspiration that they are of God. And those are the books that are in your Bible. Not that a bunch of men sat around a table trying to assert authority over people in selected books. He said, why is the gospel of, of Judas and the gospel of Thomas and the Acts of Peter and why are those books not in the Bible? Well, because the believers recognized that they were not inspired. The books are real, they're written, but just because a book is ancient doesn't make it part, that it should be part of the Bible. Does that make sense? My sheep hear my voice. You can't deny the supernatural nature of your Bible. And my buddy kind of denied anything supernatural. Don't give me no Discovery Channel theology, y'all. That's not, that it's not right. It's not true. It's not accurate. So, he's, so he starts to doubt and he is swayed in a different direction by the world. And y'all, unfortunately, that had to this day, he's swayed by the world. And unfortunately, that happens, really, it happens all the time. We talked about a few weeks ago in week one of this little collide thing. That the things of the world can be seductive. The things of the world can be attractive. The things of the world can, look, can lure us in. And I'm not talking about just necessarily evil stuff. But just the things that aren't of God. They, they can be attractive to us. They draw us in. Or at least they try to draw us in. And they try to convince us of, of their truth. Rather than the truth. Well y'all that's nonsense. Their truth is just a lie. There is no their truth and the truth. There, there is no something can't be true for you and something the opposite be true for me. Because one of us is wrong. We don't want, that's a, not a politically correct thing to say. Because the world is going to tell you over and over, well, if it's true for you, then it's true. No, not if it's not true. Right? <laughs> That's like the, I'm a master at stating the obvious. If it's false, it's false. And we got to be, we got to have guts enough to speak the truth 
with compassion, clearly. Y'all, that's the challenge of standing up here every Sunday and preaching the word for every pastor on the planet, is to speak the whole truth with compassion. It's a challenge. Truth is important. Like, truth is so important. Just let's just look in, in the Gospel of John at what the Lord says about truth. In John 18, starts in verse 33. This is the morning after the night that Jesus is arrested. Caiaphas sends Jesus to Pontius Pilate's headquarters, which was really his house. Verse 33 says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answers him, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and your own chief priests have delivered you over to me. What in the world have you done? Pilate asked Jesus, what in the world have you done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. Fighting that I might not have been delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. And so Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Why did Pilate say that? Because he's talking about his kingdom. He said the word kingdom three times, my kingdom, my kingdom. So Pilate says, so you are a king. And Jesus says, you say that I'm a king. And then he says some of the truest things ever. For this purpose, I was born. Now this is Jesus telling us why he was born. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness, to testify, your translation may say testify, to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Truth is important. Truth is important. And it's easy for us to, to sell ourselves short by selling what we hold on to is truth in Scripture. And maybe some of you are in that place right now. That maybe we feel in, in, in an internal struggle going on. Maybe we feel like we're being pulled in, in two, two different directions. And the direction of the world is like gaining an advantage somehow. Because we know that, that, that the... the the stuff that the world is throwing at us, that the, the pull that the world has on us, that, it, that that stuff is going to offer us a satisfaction. We got a, a hole somewhere, and the world, it looks like the world can, can fill that, that hole, that the world can satisfy that. Because maybe what the world is going to give us, we can touch and we can see and we can feel. But it's temporary. Any satisfaction that the world will fill this void in your life, it is temporary. It is fleeting one million percent of the time. Jesus himself, he has this same dialogue with this woman about this struggle in her life. It's one of the most beautiful scenes in scripture. John records it as well in, in, uh, in chapter 4 and it starts in verse 3. And the Bible says, he left Judea, he, Jesus, 
left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So he's heading north into Galilee. And he had to pass through a place called Samaria. So he comes to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. About 1,700 years earlier, Jacob had given it to Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. What time was the sixth hour? Say again. Noon, noon-ish, Lonnie says. So it's about noon in the Judean wilderness. Is it hot or cold? Okay. Tuck that away for a second. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So does that tell us that he's by himself? Yes, he is. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And parenthetically, John writes, For Jews, that's a cool word, parenthetically. That means it's some words in parentheses. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Y'all, that's the understatement of the century, of the millennia, because it's, it's not just that, that the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans, they hated them. They hated them. They were unclean. The, a Jew would consider a Samaritan unclean. They, were, they considered them half-breeds. And, and you can take it to the bank that when Jesus tells his guys, we're going, into, we're, we're going up here, and we're going to pass through Samaria, his guys are like, no, we're not. We're going to go around. And Jesus says, no, we're going through Samaria. I've got an appointment. He didn't say this. This is Ed. I got an appointment. Do you think that Jesus and this woman meet at this well randomly by chance? No, no. There is no such thing as chance. There is no such thing as random providential relationships. The Lord is crossing their paths. He, the Lord, goes there because there's a divinely appointed appointment at Jacob's well. Think about it. Jesus goes on in verse 10. He answers her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. In that story that John records, Jesus offers this woman the true source of life. Jesus offers her something that will completely satisfy her. And arguably, this woman has been looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. She's been looking in all the wrong places. 
She goes there at noon in the heat of the day. Typically, the women in that culture collected water for their families. Do you think that they went typically in, in the heat of the day? No, they went in the morning, and it was mostly women. Why do you think she went at noon? She was alone. Because none of those women wanted to have anything to do with her because all of the things that she was trying to satisfy her life with were not really good things. And she was a scorned woman. Can scorned people have a divine appointment with the Lord? Say yes, of course. Can sick people have an appointment with the doctor of all doctors? Yeah, doctors heal sick people, not well people. That's why this woman and Jesus meet at the well. Before this, uh, this interaction, she was in the middle of this same kind of struggle that you and I have. The, the, in this struggle, she's being pulled in the world by worldly distractions. Being pulled into, into the direction of the world. All the while, she's searching for what will truly satisfy and then he comes walking in her life. The truth in the flesh. The way in the flesh. She comes walking in her life. The creator of the universe in the flesh comes walking into her life with living water. John wrote at the beginning... He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ, the Word, collided with her sin, and she set free. Think about that. The Word in the flesh collides with her sin. Who wins that collision? Jesus, one, two, three. Jesus wins that. John 1.14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Such a cool word, dwelt. The word dwelt among us. It's the same word that in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. It's really the same word that's used for tabernacle in the Old Testament. Well, what was the tabernacle? When the Jews built the tabernacle over and over uh, as they're wandering through the desert, what happened in the tabernacle? God was there. And so it is really like the word became flesh and tabernacled with us. You know, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit tabernacles inside of you. He dwells inside of you. And so if you and I know Jesus, then we know the truth. And how do we learn more about the truth. Well, we spend time, more time, in His Word. We spend more time digging in and studying and praying through and, and talking about His Word. And, and once we know it, and we at least begin to learn how to not lose it, I believe there's a proper response that God wants from us. And that is that we give it away. Freely, that we give it away. Go share it. All throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, all throughout Scripture, it is made crystal clear that the Word was not meant to just dwell inside of us. 
that, it, that was not meant to just tabernacle inside of us. Is it made to dwell inside of us? Of course it is. But not just to do that. Not just for me. It's so not just for me. If you're a believer, it is not just for you. Does it need to dwell inside of you? Of course. Does Holy Spirit need to dwell inside of you? Absolutely. But not just for you. Not simply for you. All throughout the Bible, that is made clear. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now this is 1,500 or so years before Christ. I think that is my phone. <laughs> How funny is that? I'm like, who is the obnoxious one with the phone ringing? Interrupting the word of God. I hear you. I hear you. Smash that phone into smithereens. Boy, that'll knock you off track. Deuteronomy chapter 6, because really and truly, throughout Scripture, it is clear that the Word really was never meant to just, just to be inside of us, just for us. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, at least starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. They shall be inside of you. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Go share it. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Go share it. When you walk by the way, go share it. When you lie down and when you rise, go share it. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Go share it. Y'all, it's 1,500 years before Christ. Fast forward to Matthew, the end of Matthew in chapter 28. I think there's this super link between, it's called the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. There's this super link between Deuteronomy 6 and Matthew 28. Starting in verse 18 in Matthew, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, And don't forget, these are some of his very last words on the planet. His very last words on the planet. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth. Does he say some authority? No. A little bit? No. He says all authority. So all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And because of that, that's what therefore means in the next verse. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Go, share it. Baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go share it. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. What is all that he has commanded you? This is all that he has commanded you. Go, share it. It's the Great Commission. That's what we know that as. It's not the Great Suggestion. It's the Great Commission. Go, share it. And then he makes like the most beautiful promise like almost in all of Scripture. He says, and behold, I am with you always. Not a little bit of the time. I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we call that the Great Commission. He commands his disciples to go and spread the word of God, the gospel message about him to the world. And I believe that same commission is given 
to me and you when we accept him. When we make him our leader and our forgiver. When we make him our savior, we are commissioned to go and to share. You got a Jesus story. If you're a believer, you got a Jesus story. Is it for you? Of course it's for you. But it ain't just for you. If it was just for you, just go home and pray in your closet and don't ever come out. Now, pray in your closet. Don't get me wrong. But don't stay in there. It is made, tailor-made. Your story, tailor-made for you. And it's tailor-made for someone else's forever. Because there are people that you can reach that I will never reach. That I could never reach. Because your story, God is weaving a story in your life that can be used and is used all the time for this other person's forever. Listen, when we begin to, to read and to study his word and to dig into his word and when we begin to put his word into practice and our walk and our talk start to match and we're, we're, we're walking, talking um, witnesses for the truth claims that scripture makes, we're called to go share it. And amazingly, when you do that, like it feels good. And if something feels good, you're going to do it again and again and again. And it strengthens your faith. Like it's unbelievable how God does that. You share your story and your faith grows. You, you, you spiritually mature a little more every time you do it. I remember back in about 05 or 06, I went on this. And some of you are going to know what I'm talking about. It's this. The spiritual weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's called the Walk to Emmaus. It's amazing, amazing weekend. And there's one of the, and, and you kind of assume, because it's a, it is a Christian thing, you, you kind of assume, which is probably not valid, but I did, I kind of assumed that, that everybody was a believer. And, and maybe everybody would have professed to be a believer, but one night we were sitting there and it was like midnight. And there was, uh, I was really talking, with, there was about 25 guys, I believe. And I was, and I, I had the opportunity, it was four or five of us kind of sitting together and we're kind of sharing our story, our, Je our Jesus story. And, and there was a guy that was there who had sort of been on the same kind of, this was about 2005 or six, I got saved in 01, so four, four or so years later. He kind of was on the same path the same walk that I was on then and he was he said he's really searching for truth and I got to share like this huge privilege this huge honor at midnight with this guy what what happened to me the the four or so years before and before I knew it this dude is like laying on the floor pouring tears crying out for the Lord to save him and, and he got saved that night. And I'm, I'm honest, that was the first time that I really remember sharing my Jesus story with another person. And God used it to lead him to Christ. And this was a guy that would have said absolutely that he was a Christian. Today he would say he absolutely was not a Christian. He would have said he was a Christian for 20 years before that. But he just kind of came to realize that he wasn't. 
and he got saved that night. And y'all, the truth is, like my own personal faith, like God took that and just, it's almost unexplainable how that built me personally, like, like how it built my faith. You know, as I shared with him and I reflected on the, on the times in my life and in my own story that when God showed up in a powerful way, for that guy that night about 1 a.m., God showed up in the most powerful way, really, other than my own personal salvation that I've ever seen. And, and this, what I'm talking about, this is not just people in ministry, vocational ministry, that are called to do it. God is calling you. If you have made him your savior, he is calling you. The Great Commission is not like something that is sitting out there just for people in, quote, vocational ministry. Every believer is a minister, and every minister has a ministry. If you're saved, don't hoard your salvation to yourself. We are called to give it away. We are called to share the gospel freely, and it's such a joy to share what God has done in your life. If you believe that what you believe is really true, go share it. The truth claims of Scripture. If you have invited Jesus to do something in your life, I'm pretty sure that he's done it. Go share it. This week, go share it with somebody. And maybe, maybe that you are in a place, and maybe you've been in this place for a long time, where you are tempted to, to sell yourself short by following or buying into the, the worldly temptations rather than the eternal truth claims that God makes. You feel like you got this internal wrestling match going on inside of you like Goldberg versus The Undertaker. Y'all do know who Goldberg is, don't you? Come on, guys. Okay, okay, how about Andre the Giant and Abdullah the Butcher? Okay, y'all know who they are? These are wrestlers, man. That they're, go, they're wrestling inside of you. There's this, this crazy struggle that goes on and you've got... You just got this uneasy feeling. You know something's not right and you're being pulled in all these different directions. The kingdoms are colliding inside of you, in your mind, in your heart. You know, the, the, the kingdom of the, the world, the flesh, and the devils colliding with the kingdom of God. That's what's happening inside of you. I don't know which is which. One's Andre the Giant, one's Abdul the Butcher. I don't know. But they're go that, those kingdoms are are wrecking inside of you and you got to make a choice. You find yourself in a fork in the road. This fork in the road and it's the kingdom of the world and it's the kingdom of God. And, and which way, like, do you go? I'm going to pray that you consider letting today be the day that you fully submit to God's word. The only source of true abundant life. The only thing that can fully satisfy you because he is the source. Like he is the source. He is the living water. Every single thing that the world tries to fill you and satisfy you with will fail. It will fail. It may take 10 minutes to fail. It may take 20 years to fail. Every one of them will fail. And he will never fail you. 
Think about the promise he makes us at the end of Matthew 28. I will be with you always. Always includes the worst times of your life. The worst. Job. You feel, raise your hand if you have ever felt like Job before. I will be with you always is what he says. So he is with you in those times. He has got his arm around you in those times. And there are times where, where we don't feel it and the world is drawing us to something else. Just fight that off. Understand and recognize that he is the source of truth. That he is the way and that he is the life. You know, will you allow his word to do a work in you? And you've got to kind of pray for that. Lord, I want it to do a work in me. Pray that God would soften up your, your heart to hear his gospel. And once you receive that, you pray for opportunities to share it. And it's as simple as kind of knowing what it says, living out what it says, and sharing your story of redemption with your friends and your family around you. Share your story of reconciliation because don't you know that God, and this is saying it in a maybe a redneck kind of way, I don't know. God fixes broken things. He does. Every, if you're a believer, you have been fixed. He's a fixer. Hashtag that. He's a fixer. Like, like he reconciles, redeems, and fixes broken relationships between a husband and a wife. He fixes and redeems and reconciles broken relationships between a father and a son or a mother and a daughter or cousins or friends or boyfriend and girlfriend. Under that umbrella, I am with you always to the end of the age. He redeems and buys back and reconciles things that are messed up. Share that story with somebody. And it may scare you a little bit to do that. But do it anyway. Pray for an open door this week. Pray for an open door to share with somebody that's close to you. And I'm telling you from my own experience, it is way harder to share your story with somebody that is very close to you than it is to share with a total stranger. At least for me it is. But y'all, there's so much joy and there's so much growth for you. And you're not doing it for this reason. But there's so much joy that comes from sharing the gospel with another human being. I want to call the worship team up. There's so much joy that comes from that. It will strengthen, it will strengthen your faith in Christ more, I think, than anything. He has definitely called us to believe. And he's definitely called us to receive. And he has definitely called us to give. To give. To share. And I use this language all the time, your Jesus story. Because that's what it is. If you're a follower. If you're a Christ follower. It is a Jesus story. Because he is at the center of, of all of that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to consider, if you're, if you're a Christian, consider praying that God would open up those doors today. 
He's called you to believe, he's called you to receive, and he's called you to give. And then I'm going to tell you, buckle up because it's an awesome, incredible ride. And get ready for doors that are going to open up during the week because he will open doors. He will cross your paths. That's what I said a little while ago about Jesus and the woman at the well. That was a providential relationship, y'all. That did not happen randomly. God didn't split the Red Sea two weeks ago and allow me and my dad to have a conversation with no one else in the room. That was absolutely providential. And I would have been a screaming, raging coward had I not walked through that door. I was almost a screaming, raging coward. But God nudged me. How did he nudge me? That's a whole other message. But he nudged me with a brother in Christ. That's what the body does. Like, that's just what the body of Christ does. So pray for a door to open this week that you can share your story with somebody that doesn't know the Lord. And then walk through that door. And y'all, that story begins with, and it's got to begin with, I am a sinner. It can't begin with, um, gosh, I'm going to say fluffy stuff. It's probably not the right way to say that. It's got to begin with I am a sinner. Because without I am a sinner, I'm not in need of being rescued. Scripture says I was dead in my sins. It doesn't say I was sick in my sins. It doesn't say I had COVID in my sins. It says I was dead in my sin. And then I recognize this need to be rescued. I got a foot and a half in the grave. I'm dead. And I have a need to be rescued. And so what does scripture say? It says that I repent. I turn away from my sin and I turn towards the Lord and I cry out to him. Lord, I, I believe that you died on that cross to save me. I believe that took care of that sin problem that I just acknowledged. The sins I have committed, the sins that I will commit. The sins that I may be right in the middle of. That it takes care of all that. And that you died a real physical death. And I believe it. And I believe that you were put in that grave 100% dead and you came out 100% alive. Lord, save me. And he will. And he makes this promise that I'll be with you always. That is the most comforting promise in Scripture. Y'all, I will be with you always. And if you've never done what I just kind of walked through, please let today be the day that you at least consider that. And that's a response to the gospel. It, the gospel requires a response, and no response is a response. No response is, I reject it. Okay, don't reject it for long, though. Talk to a friend. If you're a believer, the gospel still requires a response. Serve somewhere. Serve in our kids' area. Let that be your response to the gospel. Serve on the street in one of our ministries. Serve in, in, the, in the tots area. Serve at the front door. Serve on this worship team. Serve somewhere. Serve the body. Let that be a response to the gospel. Give financially. If you've never given financially, let that be your response to the gospel. We're called to give. We're called to steward our resources for the kingdom. Let that be a response. 
My point is there is a response required of the gospel. More than anything, if you're a Christian, share your story. Y'all pray with me. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for your, your grace. Lord, we thank you that you loved us enough to willingly become sin, to willingly jump on that cross to save us. Lord, but you loved us enough not just to leave us there. Lord, you tabernacle inside of us through your Holy Spirit. And he's just itching to get out. And Lord, I pray for the folks watching online, for the people that are here. Lord, I pray that you would providentially in your wisdom and your providence and your sovereignty, Lord, that you would cross their paths this week with somebody that needs to hear their story. And Lord, that you will use that crossing of of lives to grow both of those people, to build up their faith, to make them want to do that again and again and again until revival sweeps across our country, Lord, like this country has never seen. We can talk about Whitfield and Wesley, but we are praying for revival in this country like has never been seen that the fires of that revival would just sweep across every state, that people would just be falling down, screaming, crying out to be saved at the foot of your cross. And Lord, it begins with one person's path crossing another person's path, and both will grow. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.